honor of you guys, in honor of some of you graduates and you uh, people who, who made it through to the next grade, I want to talk this morning about the generations of generations. I'm going to talk about the generations that make up generations, how all of our unique generational groups here at Generations Church, uh, you guys are what make Generations special. And I especially want to encourage you guys in your teens and in your 20s this morning with some thoughts about the incredible part that you play in God's mission to invade the earth with the gospel. He's here to invade and liberate. Amen? And we all have a part to play. Isn't that right? That's right. Amen. Amen. Y'all can talk today. It's cool. Um, but, you know, this is a crazy time to be alive. Anybody ever get that sense? Like, this is, it's kind of nuts out there. It's a little bit crazy. They used to measure changes in terms of centuries, you know, or epochs or something like that. You had the 18th century, the 19th century. You had the Victorian age, uh, the industrial age, or the space age. Now we measure change in terms of weeks, right? It's so true. What was true last month, like, isn't the case anymore. Literally, the app that you used yesterday is old and lame now. It's, it's tired. It was done. That was, that was yesterday. Um, and, and the sheer volume of information that we have at our fingertips is like unprecedented. I saw a study that said that one, one daily edition of the New York Times has more information than a 17th century person would accumulate in a lifetime. The average 17th century person. One edition of the New York Times has more information than the average 17th century person would accumulate in a lifetime. Uh, the, the World Future Society predicts that by 2020 that the human knowledge will double every 73 days. Every 73 days. Now, this is going to date me a little bit, um, but I remember going to my local library armed with three by five cards, right, to do research paper. My kids have access to millions of online libraries at the click of a mouse, when I was growing up, my friends would ride their bikes over to my house so we could play a game. They'd ride their bikes over and we'd, we'd, you know, to play like a board game or something like that. My kids are online playing people in like Singapore that they've never met live, right? I heard someone say that the kids of the internet age are crossing oceans before they're even allowed to cross the street. Isn't that true? That's our kids. Now, it can be hard sometimes. You know, they, they talk about just some, there's sometimes friction between generations. It can be hard for one generation to understand the next or for the younger generation to understand the older generation. And in fact, I want to show you a clip this morning. This is, this is a clip that kind of puts this into perspective. This is a clip of one of the great icons of my generation. I'm from Gen X, um, one of the great heroes of my generation. And he kind of has a bone to pick with some of you uh, younger generations. And so watch this. Check this out. Oh, hi. I'm two-time Saturn Award nominee Kevin Bacon. And I would like to talk to you about 80s awareness. Awareness of 80s culture and technology has been in a significant decline, especially amongst a certain demographic. I'm talking to you, millennials. All you guys born after 1985 have no idea how hard life was. If I was too shy to ask a girl out, there was no OK Twinder. I went to the white pages, Google it, and called her house. 
And then you had to make small talk with her mom for like 20 minutes before Alicia even came to the phone. And let me tell you, when she turns down your invitation to Sparrows, you can't just swipe away the hurt. You want to know my favorite app? Rubik's Cube. I saw you tweet an article about Russia. You think Russia's a threat now? Let me tell you about a little thing called the Cold War. They had nukes pointed at us for 20 years. You couldn't even skateboard to a blockbuster without getting nuked. My friend Tommy went out to rent a copy of Gremlins and never came back. You know why? Nuked. At least that's what my parents told me. Hey, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make a point here. What, you, you guys can't pay attention for more than two minutes? Oh, get it, I've had it. Can somebody take this mic, please? You people will never know the comfort of parachute pants. Uh, parachute pants, come on. It came back, did y'all notice like three years ago, for like 36 hours, they tried to make a comeback, and like the millennials just squashed it. Like, that's not happening. Um, so, yeah. So my kids were born into a totally different world than I was. Does anybody remember when computers literally forgot everything the moment you turned them off? Like you flick the switch off, they forget everything. You flick them back on, and it's like a new day for them. Commodore 64, right? What, what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> 64, okay, I gotta take a second. Commodore 64, for those of you who don't know, it was one of the most popular computers of the 80s. I had one, you perhaps had one if you're older, and 64K of RAM. Let that sink in for a second. Not terabytes. Not gigabytes or megabytes, 64K. You basically start to type your name in, and it would say, I'm done. Thank you. Thanks for playing. That's all I can do. Uh, but we were happy. And it was like the size of a Prius, right? The, the computers back then. This, okay, I, was, I, I looked this up. My iPhone has 1.7 million times the computing power of my old Commodore 64. 1.7 million times, and it turns on by detecting my thumbprint. It's the coolest thing. Anyway, so I could get lost in nostalgia. Uh, Peter Drucker, he was this amazing business guru back in the 20th century. He said this, every few hundred years in Western history, there occurs a sharp transformation. Within a few short decades, society rearranges itself. Fifty years later, there's a whole new world, and the people born then cannot even imagine the world in which their grandparents lived and into which their parents were born. We are currently living through just such a transition. So here's why all this matters. <clears throat> here's why this matters. In the church, it's more important than ever in the church that every generation brings their own unique insights and talents and personalities and perspectives to the table. We need it every generation. Because where one generation, you know, one generation might have all the vision and the ideas and the energy. Another generation brings the resources and the know-how, you know. They like, that generation actually knows how to screw something in, you know. And, and maybe still another generation brings the wisdom and experience and how it's all going to work together. So we need that. There's a, there's a really cool story in the Bible about this epic battle that was taking place in ancient Israel. In 1 Chronicles 12, Israel is at a turning point in their history. The, the kingdom of 
about to fall, and the Israelites are rallying around a brand new king, David. And in verse 22, it says, Day after day, men came to help David until he had a great army like the army of God. And then what the next verses do, I'll just kind of summarize, what the next 15 verses do is they start to describe the different tribes that come to rally around David. They, they tell us what each tribe brings to the table. It tells us the men of Simeon were these warriors ready for battle. The men of Ephraim were brave warriors. The men of Zebulun were experienced soldiers prepared for battle. The men of Reuben and Gad and Manasseh were armed with every type of weapon. They were really into the weaponry. So you kind of see a, a, a trend, a pattern, what it's talking about with these guys. So every tribe here is described in terms of physical strength or battle readiness, except for the tribe of Issachar. The tribe of Issachar, when it gets to that verse 32, it says the tribe of Issachar understood the times and knew what Israel should do. This tribe was unique of the other tribes in that they understood the age that they lived in. They understood the politics, the culture, the movement of their world. And they had this wisdom that that brings about what the nation should do. As Christ followers in the 21st century, you and I, we live in this unique moment in history. We really do. A world that's constantly changing faster and faster, but yet we serve a God who never changes. And a God who is the answer for every age. That means something very important. It means this. It means we have to be students of Scripture and students of culture. I really believe this. There used to be a saying among uh, preachers that said, if you want to be relevant, preachers, you need to carry a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. Right? Even that's old, right? Who who buys a newspaper? (laughs) A Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. Now, right, you've got a Bible app and a newspaper. You know, you got the news app. So this has got you covered right here. This is all you need. Um, Franklin Roosevelt once said, there's a mysterious cycle in human events. To some generations, much is given. Of other generations, much is expected. This generation has a rendezvous with destiny. And today in the church, I think that is true of every single one of us, all of our generations. Every generation sitting here this morning has a part to play. Acts 17, verse 26, it says, From one man God made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. According to Acts 17, The time you were born, the place you were born, your when and your where is no accident. You were predetermined. You were born by divine design. Where you were born, when you were born. You're part of a specific generation. You're part of a specific generation. I'm part of a specific generation. And because of that, it is your responsibility to understand the times like the tribe of Issachar, so that you can serve God's purposes along with us. You need to understand the times. I think one of the biggest mistakes you and I can make as believers is to cut yourself off from the world. Cut yourself off because it's just too crazy out there, right? It's too crazy, I don't relate. And so, or, or you like live your faith in a bubble that doesn't have any context to the world that you have been planted in by God. See, you weren't created in a bubble. You were created in this time, in this place, for a reason. And so your faith should, should represent that, have that context. 
One of, one of my responsibilities as a pastor, I feel, is to help people put their lives in context. I want to help you put your lives in context, to help people see how incredibly much you matter to the world outside. You weren't just placed here just to seal yourself off and wait to die. You were placed here for a reason. And it matters who you are, when you were born. It matters. It's a good thing. It matters that you're a member of the the baby boomer generation born in the 40s and 50s. Growing up when you did and experiencing what you experienced, those things, has shaped you into the person that we need to be a part of here at Generations Church. We need you boomers. If you're part of the Generation X, born between 62 and 84 about, that matters because your tribe brings to the table something nobody else can. It matters. If you're a millennial born from the mid-80s to early 2000s, that matters Because you're an incredibly important part of the energy and the vision necessary to reach the world outside. To reach those people who are experiencing adulthood for the first time. You're an incredibly important part of that. And today we're, we're raising a brand new generation, right? There's a new one back there in kids' world going on right now. Something uh, some experts are referring to now is the homeland generation, as in homeland security. It's a reminder to me. It's kind of sad. It's a reminder that our kids today will never again probably live in a world that's not on lockdown, that's not at war with extremism. The homeland generation that we're raising back there. Now, what's interesting is if, if you're a student of history, which I think is a good thing for all of us to be, History's full of these pendulum swings, right? History's not so much a straight line, it's kind of a cycle, you know what I mean? It's kind of a wheel that comes back. And there's these pendulum swings, there's these generational reactions to the mistakes of the previous generation. And sometimes they're overreactions to the mistakes of previous generations. The generation that uh, lived through the Depression, those guys understand the value of a dollar because they came face to face with poverty and starvation, Right? Uh, our grandma Audrey, God rest her soul, she was such a wonderful woman, uh, born in the same year as the Titanic sank. And she just passed uh, just a couple years ago. But she was so wonderful, but she lived through that. She knew the Great Depression of the 30s. We'd go over to her house, and she'd like to eat a little sandwich or something for lunch. And if there were like three bites left, she'd put it in the fridge. She'd wrap it up in cellophane and put that in the fridge. And I'm like, that's garbage. And she's like, no, that's part of my next meal. And her fridge would be full of like 30 it's a former meals, right? They, she didn't throw anything away. But that's just part of, part of that, uh, that generation she was. The GI generation, the silent generation. They appreciate freedom because they fought for it. World War II and Korean War. They fought for it. The baby boomers. You baby boomers. Y'all were actually the, the revolutionary generation, right? In the 60s, standing up to fight the power. Question authority. That was our baby boomers. And Generation X, they, they, the, they, the experts say they tend to be more family-centric, maybe because some of them, a lot of them were latchkey kids. I think it was because those baby boomer parents they had were like ex-hippies who hid weed in the mattress. <laughs> and so Generation X grew up a little more <laughs> cynical. Millennials today, one of the huge traits that they have noted in millennials, and these are generalizations, everyone's a unique person, of course, but millennials 
tend to have a hunger for authenticity, a thirst for it, for real, some, something real. Because why? Because it's a result of living in an age of 24-7 media that exposes every hidden flaw of every famous person who's ever lived. And so there are no more flawless heroes today because we know everything about everybody, right? So it creates this hunger for authenticity. I want to talk a few minutes about this mission that every single one of us share, every single one of us, regardless of the generation you belong to. As believers, we have a responsibility to show the world Jesus in the flesh. This is our responsibility, to be incarnational, to use a really religious word, to be incarnational, to show Jesus in the flesh, to show the world that his good news that was given 2,000 years ago is still the answer to today's modern world. The Bible is not some bubble of unreality that we like step into when we come to church, but then we got to go back to the real world. That's not what the Bible is. That's not what church is meant to be. It's crucial that we understand the importance of being living examples of the gospel within the context of the times that we live in. That's how we're salt and light to our culture. You understand what I'm getting at? This isn't a bubble of unreality. This is reality. We've got to take this reality out there to that reality. We can't be like, ah, oh, you know, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Who cares? It doesn't affect us. First of all, what's the deal with the handbasket? <laughs> and why is this like the primary mode of transportation to hell? <laughs> right? Where did that come from? I don't even know where that started. Hell in a handbasket. Like if you're good. Oh, Miss Rivers, you get to go to heaven in a chariot. <laughs> Mr. Jones. Sorry, you're going to have to go to hell in this handbasket. It's like just meant to make you like more humiliated as you arrive at the gates of eternal damnation. I don't know. Um, where am I? So, uh, how many of you have heard talk in the last 10 years, 5 years, 24 hours about being relevant, churches being relevant? This is kind of a big a buzz thing. I mean, I say it's a buzzword. It's been a buzzword for about 10 or 15 years. But church is being relevant. Are we relevant? Uh, was that sermon relevant? Are we becoming irrelevant? You know what? That's a valid question. I think that's a valid question. Relevance is basically our ability to embody the truth or incarnate the truth because we understand the times we live in. So by that definition, irrelevance, let me just put this up here, irrelevance, what is that? That is the inability to incarnate or embody the truth because we don't understand the times we live in. That's the definition in the church of irrelevance. In other words, when we can't show someone what the gospel lived out here in 2015, what that looks like, because we really don't understand what's happening in our culture, this does more damage to the cause of Christ than anything in history. It really does. I don't think I'm overstating that. I mean, even you think back into the history of the church. I mean, even in the terrible times, uh, you know, when there was persecution on the church and things like that, at least the persecution that our, our Christian ancestors lived under, it had some kind of redemptive value to it, right? And out of it, God was glorified or something. And, and then in the scandal, you know, hundreds of years ago, of the Spanish Inquisition and heresies, and then there was Reformation, all these events, as agonizing as they were in our history, they, they tend to have a purifying effect 
on the church, on our doctrine, on our Christian lifestyle. But irrelevance is worse because it leaves the church powerless, speechless, and invisible. Irrelevance renders us invisible. You and I, you, you here today who you're, you're all in. Let's say you're all in on this Jesus thing. Now, there may be some people here who are still exploring this, this Jesus thing, trying to figure out, is this something, what's it all about? That is awesome. We're so excited that you're here just coming along on the journey with us. But if you're here, like, you're all in. See, we've been called to be an incarnation of the gospel. You and I put flesh and blood on the good news that we're preaching. That's what incarnation means. We put flesh and blood on it, right? It's something unseeable made seeable, wearing flesh. Jesus was the incarnate word of God. And you and I are, are the body of Christ in the world. We're his church made flesh and blood. Is that clear? Incarnation does something really beautiful. It makes the incomprehensible comprehensible. That's what it does. See, we make that gospel given 2,000 years ago understandable to people in the 21st century, right? There's a whole lot of really deep theology and doctrine, and some of it's hard to understand, and some people just really don't even care all about it. But what they do understand is you and watching you. You make the incomprehensible comprehensible by living out the gospel. The incarnation requires, therefore, on our part, understanding the times we live in, like the tribe of Issachar, so that we can communicate the truth in comprehensible terms. That's really why it doesn't do us much good to kind of use a whole lot of, to like preach the gospel with a lot of insider language. You know what I mean by that? When we get up and we just talk about like blood and propitiation and sanctification and kingdoms and stuff like this. And, and that, these words have almost like no meaning to a generation born connected to the internet, right? They really are. I think you now you're born, they slap you on the bum, and they put like a transistor Wi-Fi behind your ear. You're connected. You're in. How, how many of you believe, let me ask you this, how many of you believe that the cure to every single one of man's angst, all of his greatest pains, is the good news of Jesus? How many of you believe it? Raise your hand. You believe that's the cure to every single one of his worst problems is the good news of Jesus. I believe that too. Okay, it's good to see that. Then here's what we have to admit. To be irrelevant is a terrible disservice to the cause of Christ. It's a terrible disservice to the cause of Christ. We might, put it even, we might even put it this way. Irrelevance is irreverent. Irrelevance is irreverence. We believe that God is absolutely, eternally relevant, but we render Christianity irrelevant when we fail to demonstrate the truth in a language and the culture that people live in. We render it irrelevant. Well, one of my personal commitments before God, every time I, every time I have the honor of getting to preach, one of my commitments to him that I, I stand before him with, it is packaging truth in ways that are biblically sound and culturally relevant. 
I want to be biblically sound and culturally relevant, right? Because if we're just doing one or the other, you know what? We're wasting our time. We're wasting our time. We're like a sounding brass, the clanging cymbal. We're making a lot of noise, but you can't dance to it, right? (laughs) If we're not being biblically sound and culturally relevant. If we ignore the times that we live in, or if we ignore the Bible, we end up with dysfunctional truth, right? And it doesn't do anybody any good. It doesn't do anybody any good. Truth is forever. But we can say old things in new ways. I believe that. I really believe that. And we're going through a kind of a revolution in that today in the church. The primary reason, I think, we don't do incarnation well is because it's hard work. It's hard work. Can I just say that? It takes a lot more extra hours of my week to try to put old wine in a new wine skin. It's harder work. And it's easier to ask people to just come to us than to go to them. That's a lot easier. It's easier to ask people just to just learn our language and our culture. Just learn church culture, please. Learn church language. That's, that'd be a lot easier on us. Would you all mind that world? But see, that is the burden and the joy of our calling, which is incarnation. That's the joy of our calling, which is incarnation. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This passage goes on to say he will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus Christ never changes. Christ never changes. Christ never changes. Christianity is changing all the time. And that's okay. Christ never changes. You see the difference? Christ doesn't change. Christianity is always reinventing itself in every generation, in every culture. Christianity in China is a lot different than Christianity in Kenya. Christianity here in Texas looks a lot different than Christianity in London. looks a lot different than Christianity in Guatemala, right? It looks a lot different. That's just in the same time in different places, right? Trust me, it's a good thing that Christianity changes. You and I are having service this morning. We're having a great time. We, you know, we sang and we worshiped and all this kind of thing. If It would have seemed more than just weird to somebody 500 years ago. It wouldn't have just seemed weird to them. By now, they would have, like, drug us all out in the street, probably burned us at the stake. Right? The first time they heard anybody speaking in tongues, we'd be, we'd be burning. Because what the church often has this habit of forgetting is that the gospel we preach is eternally relevant. It's relevant to everyone, every place, every time. But the culture we live in, we live in keeps changing. Our culture keeps changing. Think about this. When you read your Bible, when you read the New Testament, you're reading a picture, a snapshot of the first century church, right? You're reading a snapshot, this beautiful picture of just a few little span of years in the first century. It was when Christianity was on the fringes. It was outlawed, right? They They were under all kinds of persecution, but the church exploded, didn't it? It exploded, Later, what happens in history? The church becomes the state. The church, right? There's no separation of church and state. It's like the Holy Roman Empire. 
all of a sudden. And, and for several hundred years, we get the church is like, not on the fringes, it is in power. And unfortunately, we get things like dark ages, <laughs> Spanish inquisitions and things like that. It got really corrupt. But you know what I find interesting? The gospel survived. The gospel survived. The Holy Spirit was still active in the world. It didn't go extinct. The gospel survived. Today we're seeing a lot of changes around the world. Um, especially in the Western world, we're seeing the waning of the age of Christendom as far as the church holding you know, political power. That's kind of going down. Guess what? The church will still thrive and flourish and survive. Survive, thrive, and flourish. That's the church. It's the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit is still here, right? We don't have to hold political power to share the good news that changes the hearts of men. That, God's not worried about wh- whether we're, you know, we hold the White House or not. He wants you to go talk to your neighbor about the love of Jesus. That's how we change the hearts of men. Not by a law we pass or not. It's who you talk to. That's how we change the hearts of men. And so the tension that we, re- we live in, that we wrestle with in this day and age, that tension we all feel, the tension isn't, well, how do we preach a new Christ? No, no, no. It's how do we demonstrate him in new ways? Because it's the same Christ. How do we incarnate a timeless gospel in 21st century language, in 21st century culture? How do we be that incarnation, that timeless gospel? Now, while we're wrestling with these questions, guess what? These questions are already being answered all around us by the younger generation. You and I are wrestling with it. They're doing it. They're already doing it. Isaiah 43 says this. I love this scripture. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not recognize it? Some trends may be uncomfortable. But some of them are God things. Some of them are God trends. The winds of the Holy Spirit blow in a new direction. And God is always doing a new thing. Do we believe that? God is always doing a new thing. He very rarely repeats himself. He's a very creative Lord. The danger, or the danger is that we don't recognize it. We don't perceive it. Or that we fear it. Or worse, we fight against it. He's doing a new thing and we fight it. Because we've confused tradition for truth. We either don't recognize it, we fear it, or we fight it because we've confused tradition for truth. Amen? There's your tweetable moment of the day. All right. Every every now and then, um, well, let me put it this way. Every generation that we have in our church, every generation that's represented here, has influenced the church in profound ways right? The GI generation, the silent generation, baby boomers, generation X, you've all influenced the church in profound ways and shaped it, especially here in the West where we're experiencing it. That's influenced the church. Today's millennial generation is no different. The millennials today are are changing the truth, church, in profound ways. These are folks born roughly between 83 and 2003, 
They're the largest generation in America right now. Nearly 80 million in the U.S. And they're, they're already shaping what takes place in our nation. The conversations and the arguments that you and I have, that we have had for 20 years, they've like already moved on from. You notice that? They don't understand what all the trouble still is. You and I have these conversations and these arguments. The millennials have already moved on from those things. And the things that you never gave any attention to, never paid much attention to, they're hyper-energized over. They're passionate about. And they're setting the tone for the church today. I want to share some key ways this morning that how millennials are shaping the church. And this will be enlightening for, for us people over 30. Um, for you under 30s, hopefully it'll make you go, finally, somebody, somebody gets it. Um, now, we did a lot of study, did a lot of research. I put on my skinny jeans, I went undercover. Um, creeped out a lot of young people. Found out I don't look good in skinny jeans. Um, but there's a, lot of, there's a lot of really profound shifts taking place in the church, and I just wanted to highlight uh, about four of them this morning. These are just four of the many things that are happening. Here's the first one. There are fewer millennials in church than in previous generations. Now, you've probably heard this before. It's true. By one estimate, as few as 15% of millennials are practicing Christians. Less than 20% of them are, uh, attend church uh, once a month or more. Less than 20%. What that means is, is only about one in five are in church today. However, what we need to understand is, by and large, they're still very spiritual they're spiritual people. Most of them say they still believe in God. They're just skeptical about institutions. So that's an important thing for us to understand, right? Not to judge them for it, just to understand where they're coming from. Number two, the millennials' desire for relationship affects the churches that they choose to go to. They have this extraordinary desire for relationship. Millennials tend to gravitate to churches where they can connect to other people. Uh, this is kind of unlike baby boomers. The, the uh, millennials really desire to be in a more relational setting. Uh, this is why we have to make a better effort in, in all areas of our church at not just making church about learning more knowledge, but about forming relationships while we're doing that. We want to form those relationships that are so crucial to becoming happy, happy healthy disciples. I think this is actually a healthy move of the church to remind us what discipleship is, that it's, it's kind of a group thing. It's a team effort. Discipleship is, is all of us doing it together. It's reading the word together, praying together, sharing together, praying for each other, holding one another accountable. This, this is a move that the millennials are helping to move the church back to, as opposed to being simply, uh, you know, you're walking out your religious faith as some solitary exercise between you and God. So this is something I'm, I'm excited about. Um, it doesn't mean millennials don't want to learn anything. On the contrary, they have this intense desire <clears throat> to understand things that actually matter. They want to know things that matter, and uh, especially involving methods of teaching that are participatory. Um, 
as opposed to just doing what we're basically doing right now, which is me talking and you just sitting and listening to me. So basically, the millennials in the room right now are really bored. They're already surfing their phones for what's going on in China. <laughs> right? I understand. So bear with me. Bear with me, guys. Uh, millennials are, are more... I heard it put this way, and I thought it was so good. Millennials are more interested in having a conversation than making a proclamation. And this is especially to do with a lot of hot-button issues today. In other words, before they publicly blast you for sinning, they'd rather get to know you. And they respect folks who come and try to understand them before they judge them. They also want to be allowed to ask questions. They want to be allowed to question, why do we believe this or that? Right? Why do we believe that? So they want to have a dialogue more than a monologue. Okay, number three. Millennials are intensely community-focused. And here I'm talking about local community. Very local community-focused. Millennials are likely, more likely to be in a church where the, the leadership, the congregation, care about and are involved in the community that they serve. They don't really want to be a, a part of a church that isolates itself from what's happening around it. It's so kind of what we're talking about with context, right? A church is living out its faith in the context of where God has planted us want to be that. And, and number four, millennials will check your facts, okay? They, uh, when, a, when a preacher states some historical fact, if I say something up here, millennials are already checking their phones to, to see if that's true within seconds. They, they, they know. Millennials tend to have a reputation for being a bit skeptical, um, but they, they thrive on technology that uh, allows them to double-check anything you say. So whatever you say, they're not just going to be like, oh, okay, you know, they're going to make sure that's true. One of the awesome things I think about the millennial generation is that they're, they're a bit more suspicious. They question everything. They don't just take folks' word for it. They also want to uh, have things demonstrated to be true. It's also one of the difficult things about the millennial generation, about reaching them, because it can be harder for them to make that leap of faith to put their trust in a, in a Christ they can't see, which is why it's so important that they can see you. Because you're the Christ they can see. Have I beat that horse well enough? <laughs> this is why it's important that we represent Christ. All right, I'm getting to my conclusion here. Land the plane. The world is changing, and it's asking questions all around us. I say let them. Let the world ask questions. Embrace their questions. Invite them in. Welcome their skepticism. You know why? Because the truth has nothing to fear from a question. The truth has nothing to fear from questions. It's another opportunity for us in the church to offer a fresh God perspective when we're asked those questions. I believe the church ought to be at the forefront of thoughtfully embracing new Ways to make disciples. We ought to be out there. Yes, that's another way we can make disciples. And we should also offer loving, thoughtful warnings about new ways we see people hurting themselves. Right? But we can do that thoughtfully and lovingly from a perspective of knowing what's going on around us, knowing our, our time, knowing the age we live in. And this is what gets me excited. It really does. When I think about the children in our church who are growing up, the homelanders who are being born right now, the millennials who are graduating, 
they are the people who will go out and, and wrestle with these questions in a new, fresh way than, than I can even hardly fathom. Fresh ways that you can't fathom. They're going to do it. And this, you know what? The same Holy Spirit that has preserved the church for 2,000 years will continue to do so. We don't need to act out of fear. The same Holy Spirit is here, and he will preserve the church. He will guide the church. So we can't dwell on the past, or we'll miss our moment. We've got we've to perceive the new thing that God is doing. Here's what I believe. I don't believe the church is headed for the grave. I don't. It's growing all over the world in brand new places. Places we never expected the church to explode. Places like China and Asia and sub-Saharan Africa. It's growing. It's exploding. I don't believe that the world is, is one fragile thread from becoming a godless planet. I don't believe that because I don't believe the Holy Spirit is that vulnerable. I don't. I think God will have his way. And I have faith millennials will help lead the way. Millennial Christians, they're small in number in America, but you know what? They know uniquely how to reach their peers with the gospel. You guys know that. Will the church look different after they're in charge? You bet. It will. So get ready. (laughs) Get ready. Don't fear it. From my perspective, Many of the changes that they're bringing to churches are healthy. They're exciting. We can react in fear, or we can work together. And we can love each other. And we can, we can share the unique wisdom that each of our generations brings. The unique energies and wisdom and experience and tools that we all bring. We can all bring them to the table. Listen, the message of Christ is not for the faint of heart. Do you read the same Bible I do? It's crazy, Right? It's revolutionary. Jesus shook, it, shook some things up, right? Nobody said this wouldn't be messy. Nothing about what Jesus said was about maintaining the status quo. He didn't come to maintain the status quo, did he? Not at all. He went about describing such, this, such a beautiful, bold, revolutionary, scary, upside-down way of life. It terrified the religious people. It terrified the people in power. But it was like water for the thirsty souls, the desperate souls he came to save. And that's who we're here for. That's why we've been given a mission. To seek out and live in authentic relationships with each other and with the world outside our doors so that we can all come to know a life-giving relationship with Jesus. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray in just a minute, but before I do, I want to I tell you about a, a couple of things that are happening that I'm excited about. Uh, first of all, before I forget, today, right after service, the bridge, which is our college and career class, uh, which are our millennials, they are having a, uh, they're having a bake sale in the, in the North Foyer after class to support their ministry and some of the things that they're wanting to do this summer. They want to go out and do some awesome things. So make sure you go back there and get some yummy baked goods um, when you do that. Um, starting this Wednesday, we're kind of doing a bunch of new things. There's a whole bunch of new, new things we're doing in our midweek service. It starts with our kids. The kids world is, is starting a new thing. Do you want to come up and tell us a little, a little, anything off the top of your head about the kids world stuff? I don't trust myself. 
No. My information. Hi. Okay, so our first through seventh graders are starting a summer program, a 13-week-long program called Travel Guides. And it's going to be this interactive, intensive, learning the word and experiencing just like the power of God relevant to their lives. It's going to empower them to start the next school year off bold and strong and full of the love and grace of Jesus. So it's going to be great. You definitely want your kids involved in that. And of course, we'll also have child care for our younger kids. So families, I know with school, it's hard. It's hard for me too, but it's summer and there's no better place to be with your kids on a Wednesday night than here at 7. And what's different about those travel guides, right, is you have to kind of register for it. Yeah, so so, so not for the littles, but for our first through seventh grade, because there's going to be like awards and events, and it's really cool like that. And so it's actually a registration, and it's just one sheet of paper. Register your kid. It's $10 per month per kid, or you can volunteer and be with your child one time a month, and the fee for your entire family is waived. That's what we really want. So, um, <laughs> but really what we want to do is establish value. It's such a good program. It's valuable. So whether you want to have that value in the $10 a month or whether you want to have that value in participating with your child one time a month, it really is going to show your kid that you support them, mm-hmm. and then it will help you be on the same page at home, which will be amazing. Awesome. Thank you. Um, other things happening. Miss Cheryl has just started last week. She started new series in our adult Bible study going on in here on stress and, and conquering it, dealing with stress. Uh, it's going to be powerful. It's a five-week series. So that's going on in the adult Bible study. I encourage you to come. That's on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. While that's going on, the teens are going on, the bridge has their thing. And we're starting one more new thing on Wednesday nights, and that is our midweek small group. We're starting a midweek small group right here at the church, and I'll be leading that, and it'll be uh, probably in the, uh, the back overflow room here. Uh, we'll have some signage by then. But, uh, but that's going to be a time to get together more in kind of in that relational mode. We'll get together. We'll talk. We'll share. We'll read the scriptures. Um, and a lot of it will have to do with whatever the topic is we talked about on Sunday mornings, too. We'll kind of get deeper into that. It's called deeper. So I would love for you to be a part of that. I would love for you to just come on Wednesday nights to be a part of something because there's something going on for everything. Um, this place, there, there's a lot of activity happening, and, and we want this to be a real time of discipleship, relationship building, uh, learning, instruction. Wednesday nights are, are, are really powerful, so you don't want to miss them this summer. Amen? Amen. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's go ahead and pray. As our, our prayer partners, would you guys come on down here? And I'll be praying while your prayer partners, while the prayer partners come in. Hallelujah. Father God, we love you so much. God, I thank you, Lord, for your son. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing through all the generations of our church, Lord. I thank you for your love and your commitment to us, Father God, that you never leave us or forsake us. You never leave us, Father God. You have a plan for every single person in this room, Lord God, apart for all of us to play in your your mission, Lord God, to invade and liberate this planet, Father. We thank you for that, Lord, for giving us a part to play. I thank you, Lord, that you are taking the blinders off our eyes. Help us to see the, the impossible. Help us to see what, what we can do through you, Lord God, when we're living you, being incarnations of Jesus. I thank you, Father, for that, for every person in this room and the way you're using this church and other great churches in our area, Lord God. You're using us all for our, to reach our community. We thank you for that, Lord. It's such a pleasure and an honor to get to work for you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. As you go, I want to give you a quick benediction. In Jesus' name, may you recognize the new things. 
that God is doing and embrace them joyfully and without fear. May you bring to the table those unique qualities, those energies, and those talents that make all this stuff possible, that make God's church possible, what we want to do in our community. And may you represent Christ well as his hands and feet in the world. In Jesus' name, be blessed.